Hi, and welcome back to the Story Savant Podcast, where we geek out about stories and pull insights from them that will make us better human beings, all while going about our day, raising the kids, paying the bills, and striving to be compassionate, empathetic players in our own lives. You feel me? I'm Liesl Hill, author, entrepreneur, and story lover. I believe consuming stories in any form encourages Christian values, increases spirituality, and helps us develop a more transcendent, godlike understanding of the world around us, the universe at large, and God's plan for us in it. Come join me. Let's talk stories. Hi there, and welcome back. We're going to talk about two things today. I told you last episode that I would talk more about the psychology of stories and why people respond so well to stories written in the nine plot point template. I'm also going to talk about two different ways to write for the writers out there and for those who are not writers but who are interested in how writers write, if that makes sense, and my personal writing technique. Okay, so let's start with talking about story psychology. Last episode, we went over the nine essential plot points for a page-turning story. I'm just going to run through them really quickly. Plot point one is the world before, as in before the story is introduced. Plot point two is the intro of conflict in which the main character's world changes in some way. Plot point three is the escalation or call to adventure in which things get worse or pressure is put on the character. Then there's plot point four, which is the turning point. The character goes from reaction to action. They basically become proactive. Plot point five is escalation number two when things get much worse. Major trials for the character, sometimes including the death of a loved one. Plot point six is the climax, which is a confrontation between the main character and their major conflict or villain. Number seven is uber despair, which is where the character is sure they'll fail, and this is their lowest point. Plot point number eight is the aha moment in which they realize what the solution to their dilemma is. And plot point nine is the resolution of the story. Even though there are a lot of different templates for how story structure can go, and they can range from the three-act structure to many more plot points than I use, like 15 or 20, the basic structure and elements are the same. The same kinds of things are included in each template. It's just a matter of how many parts they're broken down into. So why is this? Why does this particular plot structure appeal to so many people when it comes to stories? The truth is, this type of story structure has been used for as far back as records go. It was used with really early stories, and it's still being used today. That should tell you something. It's not just something someone arbitrarily came up with. Human beings respond to this kind of plot structure. But why? Well, in order to demonstrate why, I'm going to give you a slightly different plot structure that's very, very uncomplicated. This isn't one I would necessarily use to plot a story because it's too simple. I'm going to give it to you anyway in order to demonstrate a point. By the way, in order to help you with this, I created a free PDF that compares the four-point structure I'm going to use today with the nine-point structure I talked about last episode. So if you need to see this visually, just click on the show notes and you can download the PDF. Basically, if we talk about a four-part structure, the first part is that a problem is introduced. This would encapsulate points one and two of the nine points. The world before, and then the intro of conflict, which means the character's world changes. So that's the problem. The second part would be the character reacting to the problem. So this would be plot points three and four, in which case there is an escalation or a call to adventure. Usually there's a lot of excitement and a lot of things acting upon the character that they react to, and then eventually they get to the point where they don't want to react anymore, they want to be proactive. That's the turning point. Part three is the character being proactive. So this is where they're going to hit all of their other obstacles, all of their other trials, things are going to get a lot harder for them, but in this case they have taken their lives in their own hands and are being proactive. And the fourth part is that they somehow manage to solve the problem. So looking at it in that very, very simplistic way, 
can you kind of see why humans might respond well to the story structure? The reason is because this is how we live our lives. Anytime we have a trial, anytime we learn something new, whether it's a new skill or just an experience that we didn't have before, this is the structure that these kinds of things always take. We literally go through this process thousands of times in our lives. Um, let's use some examples. Let's talk about marriage. The problem is that we're lonely and want companionship. And in many ways, things are acting upon us at the beginning. Maybe we're just not getting that many dates, or we're just not meeting the right kind of person, or the people around us aren't that interested in us, and we get to the point where we're sick of that, and we want to take a proactive approach. So that's when we kind of take the whole process into our own hands and go out looking for people to date. We might do this online, we might go out to clubs, we might ask friends to set us up, but we're being very proactive about it. Along the way, we're naturally going to hit some obstacles. We're going to have some really terrible dates. We might fall for someone who doesn't feel the same way about us. We might have some heartache, but we push through. And eventually we find the right person who compliments us and wants what we want and we get married. Problem solved. So even though I'm using the four-act structure so that it's a little bit simpler to talk about our life problems, you can see that this is the structure of learning for human beings. It's the structure of experiences, it's the structure of our conflicts, and it's the structure of our growth, physical and spiritual and psychological and emotional. Let's look at another example like a new skill. I can use myself as an example. In 2018, I started investing myself very heavily in learning author marketing. And I've said this before, but I felt like for the first eight months of 2018, I had a perpetual brain cramp. There was just so much to learn and it was so overwhelming, but I just kept pushing through it. So in this case, we can see that at first I had a problem and that was that I didn't know how to market and I wanted to learn. Things were kind of acting upon me. I was kind of dabbling here and there, but I wasn't really getting the results I wanted. So it kind of feels like being pushed around a lot by outside side forces and not really getting where you want to be. So then I decided to take the situation in hand and proactively learn what I needed to do, start experimenting, start figuring out what worked for me. And let me tell you, there were a lot of obstacles along the way. There was a lot of headaches. There was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of brain cramp, but I kept pushing through. I won't say that that problem is 100% solved yet. I'm still learning marketing and things are constantly changing so much in the online community that it's not something that I'll ever be able to stop learning. But I do feel like after a year I have a pretty good grasp on how to market. So overall my problem is solved even if it's a little bit of a continual work in progress. So do you see what I'm getting at here? This is why the story structure is so important to human beings and why they always respond to it. If you write a story or read a story or watch a story, consume in any way, a story that doesn't have all of these essential plot points, it might still be a pretty good story. It might still have really stellar elements to it, really great characters or maybe a really great premise, but the audience is not going to connect with it in the same way because something is missing. This is what we connect with because this is how we live our lives. So I hope that that's pretty clear to you and why story structure is really, really important in order for the story to resonate with the audience. Did you know you can work with me? I do story consulting on an hourly basis, so if you want help developing your story to make sure it will be a winner, go to my website at www.authorlkhill.com forward slash work with me to learn more. See you there. All right, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit and talk about different types of writing for different writers. Basically, what I'm talking about here is something that's called plotting versus pantsing. Anyone who's been in the writing community for very long will already know what this is, but if you're a new writer, you might not be familiar with these terms. And even if you're a reader or a story consumer rather than a writer, this might be kind of interesting for you. When I polled my current readers, 
to ask them what they would like me to talk about on the podcast. One thing that they overwhelmingly expressed was that they wanted me to talk about my own writing process, how I come up with my stories, how I write them, and what my relationship to my characters are. Well, I'm not going to talk about my relationship to my characters today, though I will in later episodes, but I am going to talk about my writing process. So first, let's talk about the plotting versus pantsing debate. Plotting just means outlining your story before you start writing. I am, for the most part, a plotter. I tend to have a fairly detailed outline outline before I start. Pantsing means not having an outline and just sitting down and writing, letting the story take you where it will. The term comes from the phrase, by the seat of your pants. So these are pantsers. It's one of those things that's really hotly debated in the writing community, and there's really no reason for it to be. It's kind of a silly debate because most people are a little bit of both. Plotting versus pantsing is a continuum, and nobody is 100% plotter or 100% pantser. Like I said, I'm definitely more of a plotter than a pantser, but even I recognize that as I'm writing the story, I do pants certain parts of it. I might have a plot of the major events that are going to happen, but when it comes to writing my scenes, especially dialogue, how I'm going to get from plot point A to plot point B, a lot of that, I have a basic understanding of how I'll get there, but I start going and I can really veer off into something completely different. I've come up with some of my best scenes that way. So I'm not about to bash pantsers just because I definitely plot. I recognize that my own writing has a lot of pantsing in it. And as I said, that's true of everybody. So if you ever hear those terms, that's what they mean. As for my own personal writing technique, I'm going to do an episode about premises later on. So I'm not going to talk today too much about how I actually come up with ideas for stories, but more about how I actually go about writing them. First of all, I use dictating to write my stories. In other words, I verbally dictate them into a recorder and then use software to transcribe them. This method is very effective because you can write a lot of words in a short amount of time, which is usually the goal for most writers. After that, I have to edit the dictation. Now, here's where some of what I do is very different than what other authors do. Most smart authors will tell you that you shouldn't be editing while you're writing your first draft, and I completely understand why. I don't disagree with them. You need to get the words down on paper, and then you can go back and edit the entire thing. It's just a different mindset writing than editing. So if you're constantly going back and being a perfectionist and editing rather than getting your first draft down, it's going to take you a long time and honestly you might never get it done. However, dictating makes things a little bit different. No matter how good a dictator you are, no matter how well you enunciate, the transcription software is not going to pick up your words perfectly. It is a skill, it's one that needs to be practiced, but you still have to go through and edit the transcription. And that means just editing so it makes sense. It's really not editing the right writing at all just editing the transcription. I find I have to do that within a day or two of dictating because otherwise I won't remember what I said. So if I dictate for a month and then go back and try to edit a chapter that I dictated 30 days before, I'm not going to have any idea what I was talking about in some cases. So what I do is I dictate usually about 5,000 words a day. That's the level I'm trying to achieve right now. It's not hard for me to edit 5,000 words in a sitting, but I am still struggling to do it daily rather than just two or three times a week. Then I sit down and edit the transcription. For 5,000 words, if I'm really laser focused, I can get this done in about an hour, but there are plenty of times when I'm not laser focused or when I'm too tired that it takes more like two hours. It just takes a long time to go through it. And I will admit that I do allow myself to do some other editing where I see that it needs it while I'm doing that. So that can take a little longer too. After that, I have something that's very specific that I do in my editing called editing for crutch words. Crutch words, which is something maybe I'll address in a later episode for the writers out there, are words 
that are just used too often. In other words, you lean on them like a crutch. Was is a big crutch word. Had is a big crutch word. That is a big crutch word. I actually have a list of about 30 of them, and I go through and edit crutch words on a case-by-case basis. That takes a while, too. For 5,000 words, it's probably going to take me another hour to do that. It's very tedious, I won't lie. It really is, but I've been doing that for more than a year now, and what it does is it naturally takes out passive voice. For anyone who's not familiar with what passive voice is, I will do an episode on that as well. Probably the same one as crutch words. But the short of it is that it makes your writing much stronger. It makes it much cleaner and just for a better, easier to read manuscript. So that's a lot of editing to do the day that I dictate. And there are plenty of writers out there who would think I'm crazy for doing that and would absolutely not do that. But for me, it works. I do spend a lot of time. If I get behind on my editing, I'll still dictate the next day. But if I get behind by two or three days, I might take a day off to make sure what I've already got is fully finished and edited. And what it does is it kind of, for me, is like going through two or three drafts all at one time. So instead of having a first draft when I'm finished, I'm more like on a third or fourth draft. Um, That's not to say that my editing is done. I still need to go through and edit the entire thing again for continuity. When you're editing out crutch words, it's very common to edit a particular clause, but then the beginning part of the sentence doesn't make sense because because the tenses don't match or, or something like that. So day to day, I dictate then I edit the transcription, then I edit crutch words, and usually I leave it there. I would like to say that I read it through one more time to smooth it out, but usually by then I'm really fried and I don't do that. Once it's completely finished, I go through and put in any notes. As I'm writing and dictating and the story starts to form, I often realize things that I need to put in earlier in the story. So as a particular storyline forms, I'll think, oh, I've got to go back to chapter three and make sure and put this in. Or, oh, I've got to jump back to this chapter and make sure that this character said this so it makes sense later on. I don't usually stop and do that, actually go back and put those notes in. But what I'll do is I'll go to the chapter that the note needs to be in. I'll literally write a note to myself at the top of the chapter and highlight it in red. So I know that there's something that isn't in that chapter yet that needs to go in. So by the time I'm done with the entire first draft of the manuscript, which like I said, is closer to a third or a fourth draft, I also have all these notes all throughout it that need to be put in. So then I'll go through and I'll put all of the notes in. Then I send it to myself as a Mobi file and I pull it up on my Kindle and I listen to the audio of it. Most smartphones, both Android and iPhones, have a feature that you can turn on in which a voice on the phone will read you the text on the screen. Now, it's not a particularly wonderful voice. It's not like listening to an audiobook where it sounds really awesome and dramatized and everything. It's more like one of those old operator recordings that sound really monotone and kind of annoying. But there's a lot of value in that for writers because when you are both reading the words and hearing them, you're a lot more likely to pick up mistakes and typos and missing words than you would be if you were just reading it on your own. When you read it on your own, your brain can fill in missing information, so you just miss it. And that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for writers to self-edit. But if you do the audio edit, at least for me, I pick up a lot more. That's not to say that I'm going to pick up absolutely everything, but it makes a huge difference. So after I have the whole book done, I go through, put in the notes, and then I do the audio edit. And then I edit one more time based on what I found in the audio edit. Then I send it to my beta readers. Um, They pick up any more mistakes I might have missed and give me feedback on the story. If they feel like anything's lacking or there's anything that didn't make sense, then I put in some final edits and... It's ready to go. So that is basically my writing process. It can take a long time, depending on how long the book is and, you know, whether I'm dictating every day or whether I'm going a lot more slowly than that. In the past, I've gone very slowly, but I'm trying to get to the point where I'm doing it every day and churning out books a little faster. 
But the thing that's amazing is that by using technology, specifically dictation and then the audio edit, neither of those things were really available to writers even 15 years ago. And with that technology, it really is possible to write a lot faster and still have it be a very clean, high quality manuscript. A lot of people are skeptical about that. They don't understand how a writer could put out a book every month. A lot of people who put out a book a month, they're shorter books. So there's that, but that doesn't mean that they're not high quality. A lot of them really truly are. I hope that gives you some insight into how writers write, how I write in particular. And if you guys have any questions at all, please feel free to send them to me. You can email them to me at liesl at authorlkhill.com. You can comment on the show or, or my blog or any of the social media posts. I check everything. Next episode, I will introduce the genre theme for February. I'm a little behind on this. It will, I'm sure you're shocked, be romance. And we are going to use the nine plot points to deconstruct a classic romance novel. So if you join me again, everyone have a great week. Thanks for joining me today. You can find all my fiction on my website at authorlkhill.com forward slash books. If you found value in anything you heard today, do me a favor and go leave me a review on iTunes. It's the best and easiest way that you can thank me and help others to find and be inspired by the same concepts. Together, we can lift each other through our stories to new heights of understanding and compassion for our fellow man and gain an eternal godlike perspective on our own spirituality. So go consume some stories today. I give you permission.